Hello and welcome to the Future History of Newburgh, a series of short stories about a peculiar town on a peculiar planet where science and magic mingle in an effort to save the worlds. In the last episode, the alchemist went on the hunt for a leprechaun, and Humphrey Hobb was happily reunited with his favorite chair. Wherever you are, I hope this finds you safe and happy. And now for episode 5 of season 2, The Bookcase. Sergeant Marcus led his most recent suspect in through the double metal doors of the police station. The man in mag cuffs bore a permanent wince of regret and followed Marcus like a sad puppy past several wanted posters. Under the words, Have you seen this being? was an artist's rendering of a scowling man in a green bowler hat with a bulbous nose and rufous sideburns. Sergeant Marcus thought the artist had made the little man's eyebrows too bushy. But how would he know? He'd never seen the leprechaun, and he was pretty sure that all the people at the station now reporting leprechaun sightings hadn't either. The station was buzzing like a hive of angry bees. Newburgh citizens of all shapes and smells lined up to report sightings to unimpressed officers. Sergeant Marcus knew most, if not all, of these sightings were lies, just to get some sort of imagined reward. Hardly anyone had actually laid eyes on the leprechaun, except perhaps for the man he had just taken into custody. Marcus and his detainee turned down a hall, passing several closed doors, but finally found an open one on the left. He gestured for the man to sit at a cheerless table in the center of the room and closed the door. He took out a notepad and pen from the pocket of his uniform and prepared to take notes. Now, Mr. Bleak, when I found you earlier at your former place of employment, um, digibuys, you said you were stealing computing equipment for the gold inside? Yeah, I'm sorry, man. I thought the equipment was a couple years old, you know, more or less obsolete now, and no one was going to miss it. It may or may not have been obsolete, Mr. Bleak, but it was still not your property. Mr. Bleak hung his head, and Sergeant Marcus leaned in closer. The information you give me now could very well reduce your sentence. Tell me about the leprechaun. The man's dusty blonde brows crinkled. That's just the thing. They use these thin layers of gold to conduct small currents inside the computers, you know, and I shaved the layers off with a razor little by little till I had a nice pile of it. He smiled, mimicking the curve of an imaginary mound of gold on the table with his bound hands. Then his smile turned to a scowl. But one minute there was a dish of gold shavings, and the next, poof, it was gone. All that work for nothing, you know. So you didn't see how the gold disappeared? No, no, but I did hear, like, a giggle after that. Like, uh, like a small, crazy person laughing. Marcus sat back in his chair and sighed. He put Mr. Bleak in a group cell with several other people suspected of similar thefts to wait and see if his former employer would press charges. The force field closed over the cell opening, and he turned when he felt a tug on his sleeve. A woman in dark blue sage robes 
and with just as dark circles under her eyes, stood at his elbow. Please, officer, she said and twisted a gold calm ring on her left hand. A gap-toothed boy grinned at him as his image hovered over her hand. Has there been any word on my son yet? No, ma'am. What little hope there was in the woman's eyes flickered. I know how important this is to you. Finding your son is extremely important to us, too. Chief Pearson has a special task force dedicated to bringing these children home. Unfortunately, due to the rapid increase in crime lately, some of us have been pulled off of it to guard the Sky Train and apprehend people stealing gold from lab equipment. But the team is still there and still working around the clock. We will find Jamie. Another officer wrapped a consoling arm around her and offered her a cup of something warm. Marcus sighed heavily for the second time in ten minutes as he watched the woman being led away, knowing that her heart was slowly unraveling and that even while doing his best, he still wasn't making her situation any better. He knew when he signed up for this job that it wasn't all going to be sunshine and rainbows, but he hadn't seen the sun now for weeks. Jackie peered through the gloom from the tea shop next to Cora's confectionery. The shop was operating under Newberg's current no-gold standard of bring your own tea bags. This didn't seem to be a problem for the sage community, which largely gathered there to spill the tea with other people wearing robes, as well as trade spells and services. Even on a dreary fall day like today, it was a busy place. A place where one more person in a hooded robe could go unnoticed. Tea wasn't Jackie's thing. She was more of a coffee person. But she dunked an old tea bag she had lurking in the back of her cupboard into a cup of steaming water at her seat by the window. If the sages were determined about their tea, then Cora's confectionery was equally as cunning. They had strategically located themselves across the street from Newberg's school, so as their doors emptied, the sweet shop's doors filled. If there were predators, they'd want to be where the children were, and the children were here. Jackie watched as the school's front doors opened and a mass of children spilled out. Three girls with brown skin and puffy ponytails braved the drizzle to cross the street to Cora's, the tallest leading the way and holding the shortest girl's hand. As Jackie scanned the street around them, she pretended to take a sip of her tea and grimaced beneath the concealment of her hood. It smelled like muddy water. The girls pressed their noses against the sweet shop's darkened windows, staring at the myriad of goodies beyond, because of the gold shortage, abandoned and untasted. A black cab pulled up to the confectionery, pulled by Fred the horse, who shook the water from his mane, delighting in the cool rain. Jackie set down her tea and tensed. The cab's door opened, and a hand extended from it, beckoning the children inside. The girls looked at each other, and nodded, before the oldest helped the younger two in cautiously. This is it. It's happening, Jackie thought. The carriage door shut, and Jackie snuck smoothly out of the tea shop, unobserved by the preoccupied patrons. As the carriage pulled away, she hopped onto the luggage rack at the back, 
intent on knowing their destination. Maybe this carriage would lead her to the other children. They drove through the deepening rain and past City Hall and the police station, and hooked a ride on North Wind Avenue, and then an immediate left on Nobelium Street. The carriage stopped in front of the library, where Jackie slid her feet to the street casually and walked around the carriage like she had been a pedestrian. A cloaked yet feminine form emerged from the carriage and paid the driver with some fruit and grain for the horse. Jackie walked slowly as she observed her, trying to blend into the scant foot traffic on Nobelium. The figure helped the three girls down the carriage step one by one, enfolding them under her cloak as they exited to shield them from the rain, or perhaps she was concealing them. Jackie walked slowly behind them to the library door. In the vestibule, the figure took off her cloak, shaking the water off of it and onto the floor. Jackie could see now this woman shared the girl's same pert nose and high cheekbones. Yes, you may visit the fiction section, but don't go where I can't see you. Yes, mommy, the children said almost in unison. Drat, Jackie thought. This woman was no predator. These were her children having an innocent trip to the library. Jackie sighed and shook the water from her own robes when she caught a glimpse of her reflection in the vestibule's glass. The family entered the library, and the doors closed, causing the glass to shake, wobbling Jackie's reflection. She bore no resemblance to her family, with her large snout and her beady eyes. She put her cloak back on to hide her strange eye-catching features and went inside. There were a lot of children here as well. The park and the library were the only free places for fun. And with the gold shortage, free fun for children was in demand. Free fun without rain was in particular demand today, and the normally hushed building was instead crowded with running and giggling children. Newberg's library was made up of stories in more ways than one. It was a place for community in one sense, but also a massive server housing all the knowledge ever written across all the earths represented in Newberg citizenry. The server provided a three-story-high central spire of blinking lights and whirring fans that the building's central staircase coiled around. Data was available for rent for a few weeks before it returned to the library's server again. Though the data was accessible remotely, books were downloaded to comm rings and swiped through with a finger gesture, the library still drew people through its doors. On the first floor... Library attendees could see demonstrations from local sages and scientists discussing their latest discoveries or newly worked spells. These lectures were located in special hazard rooms where flames could be easily put out and people could be quickly evacuated. Jackie watched to see if there were any strangers lurking around, beside her anyway. She couldn't see any suspicious activity taking place here. Just a poorly timed open-door demonstration on animation spells for fishing lures. The rugged outdoorsmen and women inside cast annoyed glances over their shoulders at the unusual amount of children's voices echoing in the library's lobby. Jackie fidgeted with her hood as she climbed the wide spiral staircase. Children brushed past her in a hurry to get to their favorite place on the next story. She couldn't blame them for their haste. 
the second floor housed interactive storytellers who melded their words with holographs of enchanted forests, legendary lakes, and fairy tale castles, complete with damsels in distress. Jackie glanced around here, but once again couldn't spot anything out of place. Children laughed riotously as a clownish woman tumbled from a tower of mattresses in a lively retelling of The Princess and the Pea. The traffic on the massive stairway completely disappeared after the second floor. People rarely ventured higher, but the third floor was where the real treasure lay. It was there the library kept an old atlas of an earth which was made up of mostly water and an ancient spellbook that no one had managed to decipher. But beyond these curiosities, the third floor was where they housed the real books. Real, honest-to-goodness, hold-them-in-your-hands-and-flip-through-the-papery-pages books. The only people who seemed to take the extra flight past the second story were Jackie and any recent Newburgh transplants who were nostalgic for the heft of a real book in their hands. Jackie never went up there intending to check anything out. The books weren't available for checkout regardless. Some were even kept under lock and key because they were sage books that if interfered with would write their own spells. Of the books that weren't safeguarded, she had read them all. She enjoyed some so much that she had copies of them at home among her own collection. She had begged Jim the Watcher to bring back books for her whenever he could. If they were in a foreign language, she learned the language just so she could read them. She didn't need a copy of any book. Jacqueline Thurgood, private investigator, had a photographic memory. Once she saw something, she remembered it forever, a tool that came in handy in her line of work. Technically, she had every book on the third floor memorized, yet she still returned to the library's third floor frequently in the hope of finding a rare new acquisition. There were no new books today. She ran her hand over the familiar leather spines and embossed lettering, pausing over titles her parents would read to her as a child. Every single night, without fail, they would move through the chapters of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, The Hound of the Baskervilles, Time of the Machine Wars, etc. Even after her father died, her mother carried on their bedtime reading tradition until Jackie's preteen years, when she was really too old for it. Then her mom had died, too. Her parents were much older than most. She was their miracle baby. The stories were a welcome escape for her, a way to forget about the taunts of other children. She wasn't a girl with a pig face during story time. She was a pirate queen, sailing the oceans, burying treasure. A magician casting spells to defeat armies. A detective flat-footing the mean streets and solving even the most devious cases. At the end of the stories, the mysteries were all solved, the treasure was found, the endings were happy. The case she was working now, on the other hand, was far from being solved, and the missing children's endings were murky at best. Jackie could only be certain of where they weren't. They weren't in their nice warm beds with their own bedtime stories. It was as if they had disappeared into thin air, just like the gold had. But leprechauns didn't take children, and the people last seen with the children 
were far from lucky little elves. Jackie walked from the library all the way home in the rain. She was thankful for her sage-made cloak, which was at once breathable and water-resistant. She scaled the metal staircase that led to her midtown apartment and the Vizanesian food restaurant. Tables and chairs were chained together at the restaurant's shuttered front. Mr. and Mrs. Rivate gave the last of their food away a few days ago, and the shop had been closed since. The aroma of cardamom, sesame, and cilantro still permeated the surrounds. She gripped the knob beneath the frosted glass sign on her front door, which read, Private Investigator Gal, in peeling, painted lettering. The knob recognized her fingerprints and unlocked. She always gave a quick glance around before entering. She knew what people were capable of, especially in this business. Everything seemed out of order, as usual. Jackie wasn't big on tidying up. Her place was a veritable pigsty with a coffee table covered with dried-on cup rings and open boxes of Zanesian takeout, a crumpled blanket at the end of a sagging, stained sofa, and a few ratty-looking wigs left out from her last surveillance job. The kitchenette, though hardly used, displayed a collection of dirty coffee mugs and instant noodle wrappers. She turned the lamp on, not bothering to write the crooked shade, and flung her shoes in a far corner. She flopped down onto the sofa, shifting her shoulders and wallowing her way into some semblance of a comfortable position. It was too quiet. Jackie missed the constant sound of muffled conversation from downstairs. The Ravate's constant bickering, the clamor of banging pots and pans. Everything reached a crescendo around 2 a.m. when the bars closed, but that didn't bother Jackie. She was usually awake anyway, reading or working on a case. The abnormal silence had her on edge, but was eventually broken by the sound of footsteps on the metal stairs. She drew her shock weapon and sat up. Jackie never had visitors. It couldn't be a new client. There was no gold to buy her services. If it was that reporter... She primed the weapon and crept toward the door. The footsteps stopped once they reached the landing. There was a light knock on the door. It's Ms. Bliss, came a voice from the other side of the door. Jackie lowered the weapon and opened the door with her other hand. The parliamentarian stood on the narrow landing with rain dripping from her cloak. Her hands were covered in blue leather gloves and held a hinged wooden box. May I come in? Ms. Bliss asked. Jackie grunted and held the door wider, waving with her weapon for the parliamentarian to come inside. The shock of seeing the parliamentarian on her doorstep had rendered her speechless for a moment. Jackie had come accustomed to her client's reactions when they first entered her apartment office. A suppressed look of surprise at the mess, a tinge of disgust tugged at the corners of their mouths. She could care less about what they thought of her house. If they could handle a bit of disorder, great. If not, then they could take care of their problems on their own. Ms. Bliss had no reaction whatsoever. She looked Jackie in the eye and got straight to the point. I apologize for the unannounced intrusion, Ms. Thurgood. I won't be taking up much of your time. I want to be sure you're still on the case looking for our missing children. I know you may be tempted to go after the leprechaun now, but I don't want the lack of gold to sway your focus. We may be missing funds, but missing people take precedence. 
Jackie didn't respond, but instead eyed the woman's unusual parcel. What's in the box? she asked. Only now did Ms. Bliss's eyes rove to the mahogany bookshelf on the opposite wall. The books within were arranged by color and height. Jackie took care to keep them dusted and away from direct sunlight. Only her copy of Rumpelstiltskin was out of place, laid out on a reading chair with a bookmark eased between its pages. Ms. Bliss carefully unhooked the latch and opened the wooden box. There, nestled in a bed of purple velvet, was a green leather-bound book with silver embossing. It was the Frog Prince, written in Isquit, her parents' native tongue. A rare acquisition, indeed. While trying to maintain control over her expression, Jackie gently lifted the book from the box. It was one of the few times she was grateful for her large pig nose. Pigs had a keener sense of smell than humans. She breathed in the scent of the old, delicate pages. There's more where that came from, Ms. Bliss said, nodding to the bookcase. Jackie peered up at her longingly over the book's binding. I came to you because you can get results that no one else can. I hope I can still count on you. Jackie placed the book on top of Rumpelstiltskin with care, and calmed the inner longing to delve into it immediately. I appreciate the book, though you don't have to worry. Once I'm on a case, I'm on it till it's solved. I'm pleased to hear it, Ms. Bliss shifted her weight, grinding some stray cracker crumbs under her heel in the process. What progress have you made? I keep coming up empty, Jackie said, beginning to pace. In my experience... People rarely disappear. They change their names. They run away. They die. The fact that there are no bodies is a good sign. Jackie stopped pacing and stood gazing at the title of her new book. This isn't over yet. We just haven't kissed the right frogs. That concludes Episode 5, The Bookcase. If you enjoy these stories, you can support the show by going to the link in the show notes and leaving a donation. You can also support the show by buying my young adult science fiction fantasy books called The Obluvium Series. The first one is called Obluvium Sanctuary, and the second is Wayfarer. If you liked Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children or Neil Gaiman's The Graveyard Book, you'll enjoy these books. You can also show your support by rating and reviewing the podcast, and by telling people about it. Support links are listed in the show notes. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast provider, so you always know when a new episode comes out. The Future History of Newburgh was written, narrated, and produced by R. Don Hutchinson. To find out more, please visit me at rdonhutchinson.com. As always, thank you so much for listening and helping the story unfold. Jackie walked from... Oh, cat hair in my mouth.